Welcome to All Up In Your Ears, a monthly podcast discussing, extolling, deviating from, and disagreeing about recent poems. The format's pretty simple. Each month, two of us pick out a new poem, and all four of us talk, hoping in the process to learn something about the ways that poems can matter, about what is found there, and what sometimes, for some of us, is not. At the end, we'll tell you about things that have caught our interest recently, and then one of us will call another poet for a short interview. I'm Gabrielle Cavalcaresi, your host for this month, talking from Chicago, Illinois. I'm joined by Kava Akbar. Hello! Francine J. Harris. Hey! And Jonathan Farmer. Hello! This month, and every month, We'll post links to the poems that we're discussing on our website. If you want to play along at home, you can join, you can find those links at allupinyourears.com. Jonathan, will you start us out? Sure. Uh, I picked out a poem called On Falling Blue Spruce by Joanna Clink. And um, I, I had a lot of hopefully fancy and profound reasons that I thought I'd pick this out. But more and more I realized... Uh, that I picked it out just because I, I find it consoling uh, at, a, at a time when uh, I've I felt in need of comfort and, and uh, as always sort of anxious about what it means to be comforted uh, and as always very bad at accepting comfort and consolation. Um, uh, this poem did that thing that sometimes only poems can do, which is, is to convince me um, that that, uh, that that some kinds of insufficiency are okay and are, if if not sustainable, at least valuable. Uh, so I'll, I'll read the poem from there. On falling, blue spruce. Dusk fell every night. Things fall. Why should I have been surprised? Before it was possible to imagine my life without it, the winds arrived shattering air and pulling the tree so far back its roots 90 years ripped and sprung i think as it fell it became unknowable every day of my life now i cannot understand the force of dual winds lifting 90 years of stillness as if it were nothing as if it hadn't held every crow and fog emptying night from its branches the needles fell the pine cones dropped every hour on my porch, a constant irritation. It is enough that we crave objects, that we are always looking for a way out of pain. What is beyond task and future sits right before us, endlessly worthy. I have planted a linden with its delicate, clean angles on a plot one-tenth the size. Some change is too great. Somewhere there is a field, white and quiet, where a tree like this one stands, made entirely of hovering. Nothing will hold me up like that again. Um, and I guess what I'll, I'll say is that there are lines in this poem that I want to believe that I, I don't think I could believe outside of this poem. Uh, it is enough that we crave objects, that we are always looking for a way out of pain. Uh, what is beyond task and future sits right before us, endlessly worthy. I, there are times in my life where whether or not I should hear and accept those things, I, I, I feel 
a need uh, to hear those things. And, and yet, uh, in, in my social life and my life with people I care about, uh, I, I can't receive them. And, and I guess one of the things I'm curious to, uh, dig into with you guys is, is what, what makes it possible to find solace in a poem? If anyone else is even, uh, consoled by this in a way that we might not be able to find it somewhere else. <clears throat> I think it's interesting how um, that idea of like the cons the um, affirmative sort of links me to my first thought about this poem, which is that so much of it is declarative. Mm. Um, and so in some ways, I think, I don't know, I have a lot of, I think a lot about like trust in terms of the, the listener trusting the voice of the, the poet and to me, that seems to be working a little bit here, that if you if you trust her from the beginning, dusk bell every night, things fall. Like if you trust that that's true, right, then you sort of begin to buy into some of the other assertions that she's making, which I think is kind of how the declarative voice wants to work. Yeah, I think that, I think that, I mean, I'm so interested by so much of what has been said about this poem as I am interested in this poem. And I think that one thing that interests me in what you were saying, Jonathan, uh, the way that you could find solace in the poem that you couldn't necessarily take with you back into the world is, is speaking to the way that we, the, there's this utility of poetry as this sort of um, imaginative ideal or as this way of uh, validating a sort of utopia or a sort of uh, mechanism of consolation that works in this like ecosystem of the cons of your own construct that might not work in any other ecosystem but it's entirely valid within the realm and uh, of this space within this realm that you have created or in this case that the poet has created and I think that's kind of one of the cool things about poetry one of the cool powers of poetry is that we can work these things out and we can make these very real spaces where these laws that don't necessarily pertain to the real world can pertain and uh, they're places that we can hide in um, and find that solace that the world doesn't necessarily offer us. Yeah, and uh, I, I think, um, you know, you, you use the word utopian, which is, is a word I always sort of balk at, uh, you know, and, and I think for me, uh, part of this poem is that the, that voice, that, um, that declaration that Francine was alluding to, um, is persuasive enough in its uh, sort of taking on of a, a feeling of insufficiency. Uh, it, it seems rooted deeply enough in what is not enough for me to find a, a kind of sufficiency there that, that, I, that I couldn't, in the face of someone who seemed principally concerned with, uh, with giving me comfort. Just taking a second to point out that you said rooted in, uh, and I couldn't help but spark in this poem about a tree. Oh, I apologize. Oh, <laughs> I apologize to the listeners. Oh. <laughs> I like your little lesson. <laughs> I tried to hold it in. I just couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> Gabby, you were going to say one, something, and I, I jumped in ahead of you. One of the things that I'm um, really interested in in this poem and just in the world right now is... Um, I don't know that I'm really, I'm in a moment where I feel that consolation is not possible for me, right? I just think it's a horrible moment <laughs> in the world. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I feel, I feel that's not something that I have access to right now. Um, but what I really want 
is uh, privacy, because mm-hmm. I think that's also something that we're being robbed of in so many ways right now. Um, I think the police are robbing human beings of it. I think mm-hmm. legislatures are robbing people of it. And I think yeah. um, social media may be doing that as well. And so one of the things that mm-hmm. I love about this poem is that I feel like it's a deeply private poem, right? Like it's a, it's mm-hmm. a poem that somehow, um, and, and that is a form of consolation, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. So I'm wrong. Right. <laughs> right. I think, I think um, some of the way that this poem works, and uh, maybe because we've kind of had this poem a little bit on deck for a minute, so I've had a chance to kind of sit with it, or maybe, yeah, to sit with it. It, it resonates. It has, I think it's, a, it's even um, stronger in that way that you're talking about, Jonathan, than maybe when I first res- read it, which has to do with atmosphere, you know, the kind of like way in which I feel like now I have this canvas that I'm walking around with that's her creation and it just, yeah, you sit with it. Right. Um, but I, but I, but I also wonder like the very first thing that you say when you ask about consolation, I, I sort of wonder if that's even something I ever look for in poems. I don't mm. think, sometimes I think that that's kind of, that there's a thought there. There, there are some people who come to poems for, to feel better or something yeah. to feel affirmed. And I don't know that that's why I come to poems. I think, or maybe it's like why the poems that do that for me, I don't really like rock me as much as the ones that, that unbridle shit for me. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? I think sometimes I come well, to poems to be taken apart. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I think that, I think that, I mean, that's interesting because we keep talking about, we keep using these words, um, in, un, un, insufficient and unsustainable um and i think that that is so relevant to this poem in her little in the there was like a little paragraph that she wrote like in the uh, like about making the poem or whatever and she talked about how when this tree came down all of her neighbors came up to her house and were saying things like oh let me make you a table or let me make you something out of this tree that would you know befit a you know befit something of the nobility of this tree you know and like everything Mm -hmm. she said just felt so insufficient and everything she said felt so, um, uh, nothing felt good enough to her. Uh, and I think that she sort of, uh, sort of leans into that with that last line, nothing will hold me up like that again. Like for, to whatever extent this poem is her trying to offer herself a moment of solace or offer this environment in which she can sort of like work out meaning from this sort of like arbitrary destruction of something that she cared about. Uh, in the end, there is she. She sort of leans into the insufficiency of uh, of those aims, she, or the unsustainableness of that solace. Yeah, and and I and I think for me, you know, the, the, that that final line, that final sentence, is consoling in place because, in part, because it's it, it's a place where failure has a place, where mm-hmm. where not um, gr- grief has a place, uh, where where it, it seems um, that, for me at least, that I, I can feel my own despair uh, and, and uh, a sense of belonging at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it, it's, it's, not, it, it's, it's, it's not that everything's okay now. It's that um, it's, it's a little bit okay for things not to be okay here uh, and, and that 
there's a there's a kind of company I can find in that. Um, there, yeah. there, there's there's a kind of belonging uh, that's mm-hmm. available to me in that. You know, one of the things that I think is really interesting about that last stanza, and I keep looking for language about this, but I I have yet to find it. So if you guys have a thought, but um, the way that when I re- when every time I read that last stanza, I keep wanting to read it like this one stands made entirely out of nothing. Like there's something about the way that hovering kind of mm-hmm. looks like nothing and the way in which, like if you said that, if that was the line, it would be wrong. But mm-hmm. the fact that hovering is there, it kind of works as a as an associative connection, like a visual mm-hmm. connection. Totally. Um, and I really love that. And I think, I think that it sort of speaks a little bit to how some of this um, could be kind of... Uh, aphoristic, you know, like just kind of these truisms, but it sort of mm-hmm. moved away from that. And I think like if that last line was nothing will hold us up again, you know, we'd just be kind of like, ah, yeah. <laughs> that's nice, but I don't believe you, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. but the fact that she t- brings it back to the personal, I think. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that's a really important point that it does. It, it, you know, this is a poem that sort of leans for a while and Kava, please don't turn that into another poem. It leans for a while. <laughs> <laughs> to say something universal to have this collective we it is enough that we crave objects but then uh then at the end it it, it moves back into into that privacy that, that, that gabby talked about uh nothing will hold me up like that again it it, it gets smaller in, in a way at the end um, well, and, and somehow yeah. uh for me more more spacious as a result of that too and also yeah. because that could be read two different ways, right? I mean, that that I love the idea of both holding up as bearing something and also holding up as something <laughs> holding you back, right? Like nothing will ever hold... There, there's a way in which I think the poem allows for that ending to be at least dual. Um, mm-hmm. and you mean, that you mean is, dual meaning being that holding up can also mean being detained? Yeah, that, like being, nothing will ever hold me up like that again. This is a poem mm. that also yeah, moves super slowly, mm. right, and is consistently turning back on mm. itself. And is a poem, it seems to me, also of a kind of obsession. And and so there's something yeah. about the way the poem works at the end that keeps it um, from a kind of finality that I just don't really believe anymore. <laughs> and mm-hmm. if that makes sense, and I... Yeah. I appreciate that about the poem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that might be a good. That might be a Are good segue ready? into our second poem. Oh, awesome! Mm-hmm. Um, Francine, I think you have a next poem. I do. Um, the poem is uh, Jericho Brown's Bullet Points, uh, which was uh, published in a little bit, a couple months ago, like in March of this year. Um, I'll read it first. Bullet points. I will not shoot myself in the head, and I will not shoot myself in the back, and I will not hang myself with a trash bag, and if I do, I promise you, I will not do it in a police car while handcuffed or in the jail cell of a town I only know the name of because I have to drive through it to get home. Yes, I may be at risk, but I promise you, I trust the maggots and the ants and the roaches who live beneath the floorboards of my house to do what they must to any carcass, more than I trust an officer of the law of the land to shut my eyes like a man of God might, or to cover me with a sheet so clean my mother could have used it to tuck me in. 
When I kill me, I will kill me the same way most Americans do. I promise you. Cigarette smoke or piece of meat on which I choke or so broke I freeze in one of those or so broke I freeze in one of these winters we keep calling worst. I promise that if you hear of me dead anywhere near a cop, then that cop killed me. He took me from us and left my body, which is, no matter what we've been taught, greater than the settlement a city can pay a mother to stop crying, and more beautiful than the brand new shiny bullet fished from the folds of my brain. So um, I think um, I picked this poem uh, maybe partly kind of piggyback on my thought about cling poems, that I like poems that, that resonate, that I just kind of can't stop thinking about, and this was one of those poems. Um, and I think, you know, there's so many interesting things about how this poem works as uh, a kind of pact with the reader, um, that insistence on the promise um, kind of is, you know, a way of, it's like the vehicle that engages the reader in this relationship. Um, while it's insisting on, you know, the stronger ideal behind it, which is the necessity to sort of create like a living document, almost like a will, or um, kind of in the mode of a manifesto, but it's like a, 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 a contract not only with the reader, but with the self, that it works as, as uh, a document that is almost like a living will before, before anything has happened. Um, and the necessity for that kind of document, the, excess, the necessity for that um, sort of declaration in this poem is at the crux of its power, right? That it, um, yeah. that it even needs to be written in the first place, obviously. Um, and there's so many, uh, really beautiful ways in which, you know, it moves, um, in terms of the, the repetitions that it kind of returns to. When I first read this poem, um, online, you know, I think you, of course you have that, that impetus to share it. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think, I, I think I shared it. I'm not, I don't quite remember if I did or didn't. But I remember what happened um, when I first thought about sharing it, which was, you know, and I'm talking about on Facebook, of course, um, that I, th I originally thought to make this comment on the poem and then post it. And something, it was something along the lines of, you know, because I sort of recognize it as a, as a document, right, a kind of um, functional and logistical thing. And I, and I think I wrote something like, a poem for us to keep in our wallets or our desks at home. And then something weird happened when I wrote that. I thought, well, whose wallet am I talking about? Or whose desk? And is it my wallet? Do I, like, do I need this kind of note? And I thought, yeah, of course, I, I need this note. And then I thought, well, maybe I'm in denial. I think that I need this note. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Sandra Bland needed this note. Mm -hmm. Simone Marshall needed this note. But then, you know, those women don't necessarily look like me. And then I thought, and so that was like this kind of moment of self-interrogation. And then I thought... Um, well, and also like, am I talking, am I just talking about black folks? Am I talking about brown folks? Like when I say a poem for us to keep in our wallets and I just kind of, kind of spiraled like in this yeah. way where I, I no longer felt like I had, um, the, the right language 
to introduce the poem, which is, you know, so much of how we deal with literature on social media. Um, so maybe I just posted it without comment, I guess, but it just was, it was, it, it made me think about, I mean, you know, I don't think that any of that's necessarily important, but it did make me think about um, the way in which some poems demand a kind of self-interrogation, like demand us to sort of think about our role um, in what we are um, absorbing. Yeah. I think that the moment of the poem that does that for me is that, is the line, the beautifully in jam line, me from Adi, you know, the, the stark partition between me and us and the officer, the officer's action, um, you know, making that partition, like, like putting that cleave in the identity. Um, and it's, it forces you to ask, like, obviously the me, we, we understand what the me is, but what's the us, what is, what is the us to whom he speaks? Is it, you, you know, is it, is it all brown people? Is it all um, black people? Is it a specific community? Is it anyone reading this poem? Um, uh, is it anyone who could receive these words? Um, but I, I agree with you. I, I love, I love the description of this poem as a will, because I think it really does read like that. I think it reads, mm -hmm. there are moments of it that read very practically, you know, like uh, uh, there, and I think that that is sort of where it draws some of its power, the line, I promise you that if you hear of me dead anywhere near a cop, then that cop killed me. Like, like I'm getting goosebumps talking about it right now. Like, mm -hmm. it's just like the most, it's the most jarringly plain line, although here and near are perfect rhymes and then like freeze and keep and then, you know, choke and took or, you know, he's, he's obviously doing stuff at a crap level, but it's, it's so plain. Like it's, it's that line is so jarring in its frankness. Um, it's, it's really kind of staggering. It, it's also to me a, a similar moment for me in the poem that I'm so jarred by um, is when I kill me, I will kill me the same way most Americans do. I promise you. Mm -hmm. right. Cigarette smoke. Again, you have you have that rhyme, in it. but but really, it's also um, sort of the democratic nature of this poem as well. You know, mm -hmm. when I do this thing, I will get you know, I will kill me the way most Americans get to destroy themselves. You know, I mean, there's there's a very there's something really incredible about that to me because this is also, um, it's a will, but it's also, uh, not a suicide note. And I think right. that that's really important. Exactly. You know, it's super important that yeah. suicide is it's like all the opposite over. of that. What? Yeah. It's like the opposite of a suicide note. Right. And, and I, I think that's really important, particularly when we think about, um, a lot of the discussion around Sandra Bland and a lot of the discussion, mm -hmm. I mean, that I think that that is something that really, really strikes me about this poem that is so important. Um, and also about those lines. I'm, I'm very struck by that. And I, yeah. I think, mm -hmm. think too, you know, to, to, to kind of um, go back to those specific lines, the poem fascinates me in, in part because it's, it's such a, it's such an interesting mix of, to, to kind of go back to our earlier discussion, public and private. Um, you know, the, the poem to me seems to begin from the awareness that once, once the person has been killed by the police, once the black, occasionally Latino, you know, uh, but once that person has been killed by the police, there is an entire rhetoric that comes into place and that the one voice that is necessarily omitted from that is the person who was killed. Uh, mm -hmm. And so there's this urgency about this poem that has to be written down now because I, 
not me, but the eye of this poem, could be killed at any moment. And this is this may be the last chance to to kind of insert that voice into that public discussion before it's wiped out, before it becomes the the, the, the subject of these conversations. Um, and I, I, I keep thinking about the fact that Brown was, as far as I understand, used to be a political speechwriter. Um, and the poem seems to me to move in really interesting ways back and forth between like a strategic political document, one that uh, sort of very cannily and carefully anticipates uh, the things that are always said about the person who's killed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that becomes more immediate than that. They can't stay just in that strategic space uh, and that spills over in places. And I think one of the places it spills over is that moment. When I kill me, I will kill me the same way most Americans do. Cigarette smoke or a piece of meat on which I took. It's, it, it's a line that's... Um, sort of a little bit insulting about Americans uh, and the, the, the one that kind of alludes to climate change as well. Those are not political moves. Those are not the moves you make as a speechwriter. Those are the moves that you make as a person who can't take it anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so the, the marriage in this poem between sort of the canny political document and the, the, the poem of just um, – the inability to, to 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 wait any longer, to be strategic any longer, to be patient or careful any longer, uh, and and the way the poem can't stay safely or comfortably in either of those places, I, I find really affecting. Yeah, it's so hard to write invective well. You know, like like I can't I can I can't command you know off the top of my head you know a half dozen poems that are just like just angry and really good and really interesting to me from a craft standpoint. But there are moments of like just seething in this poem that I, I think are really, uh, again, just quite, kind of staggering. The, I promise you, I trust the maggots and the ants and the roaches who live beneath the floorboards of my house to do what they must to any carcass more than I trust an officer of the law. You know, like that, like that, that is, that is, that is anger. That is rage. That is seething. And it's, it's so deftly placed and braided into this uh, this uh, sort of this poem that moves so beautifully between that sort of notion and then these also very vulnerable notions of like you know a body being covered with a sheet you know or like so clean my mother could have used it to tuck me in you know describing the sheet you know um, that sort of braiding of the invective with the just like just you know sort of like uh, I openingly staggeringly dropingly personal is just so so moving to me. It's to be one of the things that makes the poem Whitmanian in a way, though, right? Like, I trust the animals to do these things. And then this incredible moment, to me, this remarkable moment toward the end of, um, he took me from us. That moment the us and the we comes in, I mean, that's that's an extraordinary moment to me, that that Mm -hmm. all of these things actually winnow down to, like, removing the self from this huge hole. Um, And Mm -hmm. that's really something... Yeah, the me is peeled away from, from the us in that moment, even as it still is speaking and can, can still say us, it's also imagining. You know, it's really interesting. Go ahead. Mm, sorry. I just think it's interesting. I don't know. It's funny because when you say the idea about the moments of anger, I am realizing that I didn't read that. I didn't read it that way. Like, um, hmm. 
in some ways, I think I think that some of those moments um, are sort of cultural reference. Some of them are just kind of like they feel just not pastoral necessarily, but in my mind, I trust the maggots and the mm-hmm. ants and the roaches is like it's I didn't read it as anger. I read mm-hmm. it as there is a natural order of things and yeah. it won't like I you know, it's a desire not to let another not to let violence it, it actually worked the opposite for me like mm-hmm. it's a desire not to let violence be the thing that that picks you apart right to let yeah. the earth be the thing that picks mm-hmm. you apart yeah um, i think that's yeah yeah you know maggots i mean that's the connotation of that term is so pointed and i don't think anger is the word that comes through for me or, or the, the feeling that comes through for me it's it's um it's it's slipping between something that is politically strategic that is is, is attempting mm-hmm. to sort of influence the almost to, to, to sort of uh, influence the public rhetoric and the way that people who who have power are going to think and talk about this. And but don't the you think like don't you think that when I kill me the way that most Americans do like you I don't know you just, I sort of feel like <laughs> I mean I guess semantically sure that's sort of cruel. But I also think, you know, it's that way that we're like hard on ourselves. Yeah. Like, yeah, I treat my body like shit and <laughs> I drink too much, you know, but I have a right to like be right. kind of like abusive to myself. Yeah, right. and, I, and I have a right to be an American with all that intent. I have a right to be an American. <laughs> well, and also like I have a right to kill myself. Like I have a right to decide how I go. You know, like I can eat right. my meat Definitely. and I can do those things. What isn't, you know, what is not going to happen is like, someone taking my life from me. I mean, you know, I mean, that's a, yeah, that's very right. American. I'll do what I or, want, yeah. you know, or it, or it, it or it is going to happen anyway. Right. Um, right. I'm at least going to rhetorically intervene in that. Totally. Mm-hmm. I also feel like this is one of those, this is to me, I mean, I don't know what it is to call something an American poem because that's super complicated. And, yeah. But, totally. like, but I will say that if every American said this poem aloud multiple times a day in public, <laughs> it is the kind of poem that would change something. I do think that. Yeah. You know, I think this is yeah. a poem where if someone was approaching you and you for said, so many reasons, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Like and that to me is is that is a very special thing that that uh, Jericho Brown does in this poem is that I feel like in this week, you know, with what's gone on in Baltimore and with what's gone on in San Francisco, um, with Jessica Williams, um, you know, if everybody just like walked down the street and when someone was like, what do you want in your coffee? And said this poem, you know, <laughs> literally you know, things would change. We'd have a more just world and longer lines for coffee. Yes. <laughs> it seems like a, it seems like a fair compromise. <laughs> yeah, so I think we'll all take that <laughs> okay i think that wraps it up for this week kava do you have a recommendation for us yeah i've been really really obsessed and i know i'm a little late to the party um but i've been really obsessed with lily huang's uh a bestiary it's from cleveland state university press and it's not really a book of poems i mean it's as much a book of poems as you know uh maggie nelson's the argonauts was or um in that it's these sort of quick pivoting uh, chunks of prose. Some of them, you know, are eight words long. Some of them are a page and a half long. Um, but 
it does it does so much so beautifully. I'm so interested in those quick pivots, maybe because uh, I'm a poet at heart. Um, but like, I'm so interested in the way that my brain draws connections between those that explores issues of immigration and domesticity and uh, love and uh, addiction and family and all these extraordinary ways. And it weaves all those things through with these myths that Lily writes. And she's just such an incredible, interesting uh, writer, interesting just at the syntactical level. Like she just is constantly doing uh surprising things with her language that keep me in it. Uh, and it's, it's just a book that I've been thrilling through. Um, I can't recommend it enough. And, you know, it's, it was, uh, I think selected by Wayne Kestenbaum for, uh, I don't remember the name of the prize, but for a prize and he blurbed it and Maggie Nelson blurbed it. So it's, it's got a good pedigree and, uh, I, I, I can't re- recommend it enough. Well then, I think we we got to get to the phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all sign. Most of us are signing off, but I believe we have a phone call to make. Yay! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna talk with our friend Carl Phillips here. But uh, before we do that, I'll say goodbye to Gabby, Jonathan, and Francine. Bye, you guys. Bye, everyone. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. Love you. <laughs> I love you, too. I have to say it. I just have to say it. I love that you. was next level. You can, you can edit that out. You can edit it out, but I couldn't resist it. I, could, I sent it to me. I love you. Uh, that's great. That's great. You should never end the phone call without saying that, right? That's right. Now I'm ready. Hello. Uh, we're back. Uh, on all up in your ears with our friend Carl Phillips. Say hello, Carl. Hi, Kava. How are you? <laughs> I'm well. How are you doing on this bright and beautiful day in St. Louis, Missouri? Great. Great day. Yeah, I'm glad to hear it. So uh, we've got Carl on for just a short amount of time, and I thought that maybe uh, I thought that maybe one fun thing that we could talk about was would be your recent foray into Twitter. I think that. Uh, a lot of people, I would, I would certainly say, I was surprised to see you on Twitter. I kind of imagine you in your leisure time, like the mythological Carl Phillips in my head is just sort of like, uh, is just sort of like sitting on top of a horse reading Proust, you know, in his free time, or you know, uh, something to that effect. Um, oh, I like that. You're you're missing the falcon on my shoulder. <laughs> and, well, yeah, and the falcon on your shoulder is turning the pages for you as you need as you gallop along the countryside. Um, and so, uh, yeah, what what prompted your uh, hopping on the social media train? Um, well, to be honest, I, uh, well, my partner convinced me to do it kind mm-hmm. of on a dare last summer. <laughs> um, and I, I think because, um, well, he's also the one who got me to buy a smartphone. He's also the <laughs> one who got me to learn how to text. Sure. So there's a theme here, and... Part of the theme is that he's in his 30s, and so, you know, I was more used to that kind of medium. Mm-hmm. And I think he thought, you know, you're a writer, you don't go on social media and interact with people. And I, I thought, well, I don't know. And so I was supposed to try it for 24 hours, Twitter. <laughs> yeah. And um, and then really, really ended up liking it. I, I guess I, it might be just the people I follow or what I read or something, but sure. I learn a lot, see a lot of reviews and lots of 
poems that I wouldn't stumble upon ordinarily. So to me, it's, it's not a distraction. It's actually a place to learn a lot. And, you know, and it's also, I guess I sort of have fun sort of posting things of, or tweeting things, I guess, of here's the daily life of at least one poet. So, sure. you know, for those who might care about such things. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. I think it's been, uh, I think it's been really cool to see you in that space. And I agree that it can be a really, a really wonderful tool, a, a wonderful literary tool, both in terms of, um, engaging your community and finding new communities. Um, but also just, I mean, if you cultivate a feed that is heavy on poets or heavily, heavily dominated by poetry people or poetry organizations, you, you're introduced to a lot of new stuff that you would have never seen otherwise. Right. And I guess I think it's a chance to, for me, I mean, I have certain biases mm-hmm. about social media. And I guess I, I'm not keen on, you know, there are a lot of people who are just there to sort of announce the latest thing that happens to them, the latest wonderful thing. Sure. Um, and it seems a little self-serving. But I, I like the idea of, I've been doing a lot of sort of promoting someone else's book, you know, someone, yeah. especially new writers. I'll yeah. read somebody's first book and really love it and so it's great to have a picture of it and say it was wonderful and I feel like it's you know a little plug for somebody else or you know have a photograph and then a quote from Marianne Moore some long dead poet <laughs> yeah. just you know to have her back in the conversation yeah and which doesn't mean I wouldn't say oh I have a book out or something but I feel like it's it's a nice way to sort of give to the community as well as just trying to get attention or something Absolutely, totally. I love that. And I mean, if you think about it, if you are running a sort of a very small press magazine or whatever, and you have a circulation of a thousand copies, um, you know, any given poem in the 150 pages or whatever might be read, you know, on any given day by, you know, if you're lucky, like a dozen, two dozen people. Whereas if you post a poem on a social media feed and you have 500 followers or a thousand followers, that's going to get, you know, a couple hundred impressions. So it's a, it's, it's a way of sort of curating, um, poems that matter to you or poems that whose poems by poets, whose voices you want to amplify for whatever reason, living or dead. Um, and I think it's a really valuable tool in that way. It's been cool to see you, uh, sort of embracing it. Yeah. And, and it's part of the discovery is also seeing things like your own dive dapper, yeah. Uh, series, you know, that yeah. you can sort of check every week. Um, not to mention your own poems, which I keep seeing more frequently, <laughs> as if maybe a book is on the way. Uh, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm stammering because uh, I don't you know. You didn't expect me to turn the tables and ask you <laughs> No, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> uh, it's like the hunter becomes the hunted. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I am working diligently on a book. And slowly, it's slowly making the rounds, and hopefully, I'll have something to talk about soon in that regard. Well, I'm sure it's going to be quite powerful based on the poems I've seen. What a staggering thing to hear! This is I'm I'm grinning from ear to ear right now, and I don't even know what to say or how to. This is not how I anticipated this going at all. Um, oh, well, you know, what <laughs> uh, I say? Yeah, no, uh, you're you're making my weekend right now. Um, uh, to to turn the tables back to you, um, uh, I do. You, have you found that the experience of Twitter poetry, or however you want to say it, has it um, shaped shaped the way that 
uh, you're seeing like the unit. Are you, are you thinking about poems as like, like the individual unit of a poem as being more, um, what is consumable now? Uh, I know that your books tend to feel like more cohesive wholes. Um, but are you thinking more about poems as like individual complete entities unto themselves now because of your, your Twitter poetry experience? Is it doing anything like that? Well, it's weird because, you know, see, I guess I've always thought of poems as individual entities. Like, I'm shocked that my books ever come together and seem as if they cohere. <laughs> I just go poem by poem instead sure. of, I feel as if many people, their books are very themed now and sort of a deliberate arc. Sure. Um, so, I don't know. Um, but, no, I think what Twitter's made me be, think about a bit is sometimes the poem as ephemera and I'm not sure if I'm bothered by that or not you know people will sort of say look there's this poem there's that poem mm -hmm. but they fly by and you know especially because if you don't check every five minutes you suddenly have a long list of tweets and you know you can't <laughs> keep up sure and I was just last night talking to someone about the whole possibility of poetry sometimes becoming like Snapchat mm -hmm. where it's there and then disappears. And yeah, think, that's interesting. Where was that poem that I really liked the yeah. other day? And, you know, in my ordinary life, I would have, or, you know, life before all this, it would be in a book or a magazine that I'd pick up again. Right. And now, it's sort of like it flew by, it was on somebody's page or some site. So on one hand, I'm happy to have seen it, but then it becomes harder sometimes to retrieve it. Right, I mean, right, totally. Well, I don't know. I don't think people are writing that way. I think it's just that like here's this or sometimes it'll just be some lines from somebody's poem that just yeah. came out somewhere and I think that's good but where's the rest so yeah. it's almost like the, the restriction of characters in Twitter sometimes has an effect on what we post or how much work we can quote from something totally totally well, and no that's a that's a fantastic answer I love that snapchat comparison and it's making me think of how you know, maybe like a hundred years, or maybe not so, maybe not a hundred, maybe like 75 years ago or whatever, um, mm -hmm. you might go to the library to, or, you know, not even 75 years ago, but a few decades ago or whatever, but you might go to the library to read uh, a journal of poems, uh, and then that poem would also sort of dump, you, if you wanted to save it, you would have to copy it into a notebook or make a, you know, That's make right. a physical copy or something like that. Otherwise, uh -huh. it too would sort of become, you know, the, just the ghost of itself. And you might remember like a phrase or, you know, at best a line or two. But, uh, uh, and that was, so it's sort of like almost like it's circling back to that sort of uh, uh, transitory state of a poem. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, yeah, I think, I'm not sure if this relates, but I was just thinking somehow, though, it seems important. It still, it doesn't diminish the interest and importance of Twitter. And in some ways, some I've had some people like my age or a little older sort of wonder why I'm on. Like I don't know, as if it's some kind of midlife crisis thing. You've got to prove you're with it. And I feel as if why would someone stop being interested in how communication is happening? Um, yeah. And rather than criticizing it without trying it, um, you know, it's like new music. I, I, there are some people. Many people my age seem to stop buying music around the time of Fleetwood Mac or something. <laughs> and I don't understand why, you know, if you like music, you wouldn't keep buying it. Totally. And, I don't know. Or learning how to download it. Heaven forbid. 
<laughs> yeah. No, that's wonderful. Um, uh, I, we've, we've, uh, I think we've gone way past our, the five minutes this was supposed to be. Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, do you, uh, so does this mean that the next step is your partner convincing you to get on Facebook or, uh, or something of that ilk? No, because I know too much about the downside of Facebook. And sure. I mean, I think there you just get fucked in. And yeah. Also, I like the brevity that is required on Twitter. Yeah. Whereas can people just can just go on and on on Facebook? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I think it's. I, I think know. that that's a, a neat little side effect of Twitter is that every every uh, every tweet has this sort of formal constraint that forces you to think about compression in weird ways, like syntactical compression and. Uh, you know, in a way, it's like the old-fashioned letter writing. You had to think about you only have so much space. Yeah. yeah. Um, before the postcard runs out or the letter page. Um, it's what I like about Instagram too. It's just photographs. You can say a little bit, but it's not. It's just the image, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I love that too. Um, okay. Uh, I I have to uh, I have to keep the I have to cut this off now. Though I'm sure we can. <laughs> uh, keep- I know you have to hang up and figure out how you're going to edit all this. I know, I know, and I'm still I'm still hovering like 6 inches off the ground right now from uh from you saying nice things about my poem. So, um if you would please would you mind saying uh goodbye to our listeners? Goodbye listeners, thanks for listening. Goodbye listeners, thanks for listening. Thank you, Carl. Sure, thank you, Carla.